0: You are the king of heaven, and you are the king of our lives, and we thank you for your love. Amen. If you want to take just a minute, give someone near you a high five, tell them your name, and then we'll continue with worship. Yep. I'm going to actually steal this and not bring this whole thing. Over here. Nope, we're just going to, I'm just going to steal Thank you, thank you. Huh? Is, yep. No. You want me to sing? I can. Good morning, good morning, good morning. I'm Erica Allen. I'm one of the pastors here at Horizon. Happy Easter. Christ the Lord is risen, and we are so very glad to be able to celebrate that with each and every one of you this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to start this morning by reading um, Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. If you want to join along, you can. If you pull out your phone and use your Bible app on your phone, that's totally fine, too. Um, Luke 24, verse 1. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, the women went to the tomb, bringing the fragrant spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. They didn't know what to make of this. Suddenly, two men were standing beside them in gleaming bright clothing, The women were frightened and bowed their faces toward the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He isn't here, but he has been raised. Remember what he told you while he was still in Galilee? That the the human one, the Son of Man, must be handed over to sinners, be crucified, and on the third day rise again. And then they remembered his words. And when they returned from the tomb, they reported all of these things to the eleven and all of the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. Their words struck the apostles as nonsense, and they didn't believe the women. But Peter ran to the tomb, and when he bent over to look inside, he saw only the linen cloth, and then he returned home wondering what had happened. Last week, as soon as I got home from church on Sunday, I put on a green Masters hat, and I settled in to my favorite chair to watch the final round of the Masters. If I'm totally honest, it was Sunday afternoon, and I fell asleep (laughs) for the last few minutes while watching it, and I woke up to Chris saying, wow, 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 Erica, you gotta wake up, Tiger Woods just won the Masters, and I was like... Uh, Okay, and Chris and I hugged and we cheered silently because our one-year-old and our two-year-old were both taking naps And we silently joined the crowd going tiger 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 because we weren't dare gonna wake up the children But for a moment the world was as it should be right. We had napping Children and after more than a decade Tiger Woods was a champion Again, my two-year-old son David woke up from his nap soon after that and I cuddled him in my arms in my favorite chair in our home and I had on my green hat. I gave him um, his dad's master's visor and I told him, I said, David, in 2008, I didn't even know that your daddy existed. That's the last time Tiger Woods won a major. Today, he won the masters. It's a messy, messy story, son, but I want you to hear these words, never give up. And then I taught him to chant Tiger, he's saying, Tiger, Tiger, Tiger. I realized later during the week he thinks Daniel Tiger won the Masters. (laughs) Whoops. (laughs) That's all right. (laughs) We'll fix that one later. (laughs) But as a young person, I watched Tiger Woods excel. He was the epitome of success. He had it all. And then all of a sudden, he didn't have it. All. And we can pretend like it was a back injury, or a knee injury, or just that as his age increased he wasn't able to play the sport like he used to be able to, but deep down we all know, right? We all know what's really true. We saw the headlines and the mug shots. We know about the arrest, the infidelity, the misuse of painkillers. Of the adversity he faced prior to the 2019 Masters, the least of them were back and knee injuries. And one of the greatest golfers in the history of the world came crashing down from the top. And the fall happened quick, and it was posted everywhere. Everyone knew about it. But there is still a part of us that, wants, that wanted him to be a champion again, right? Like we celebrate, I celebrated that last Sunday. I wanted Tiger to be a champion again. I wanted him to come back out on, ty- on, on top. We love the endings of good comeback stories, right? Like us humans crave this. We want to root for others to come back from a fall. Everyone in this room at some point in time has probably experienced some kind of failure or defeat or setback. We love comeback stories because it teaches us that there's no hole too big that you can't come out of. And our lowest moments, our brightest glimmers of hope come from people who found their way made their way out of holes we never thought they would come out of. We cling to this sometimes in our darkest and emptiest of moments. Dreams are shattered. Life's not at all like you think it's going to be. Everything changes. But today, today we are gathered here to celebrate that because of Christ, no hole is too big, nothing is too strong to keep us down. And there is always, always, always hope. Because Christ is risen and God is always, always, always doing a new thing. This week, many of us watched the images of the cathedral in Notre Dame. I am not, I have never had anything in in French before, so I might mess this up a couple times. I apologize. But this week, many of us watched as the cathedral of Notre Dame was just engulfed in flames. I saw the image of the fiery steeple come crashing down in fire and smoke. I saw the videos later that night of folks gathered around in the streets of Paris holding hands and singing songs. Some of them who readily admitted we'd never even been to a worship service there. But this symbol of God's steadfast love, right? This symbol that God was always going to be there, we saw it begin to crumble into a a heap of ashes, right? And deep down, all of us were craving some story, the story that we're all gathered here to celebrate, that God's going to bring something new up in the heap of ashes. We long for that. We watched the world long for our story this week as they watched the cathedral of Notre Dame come down. And here's... Here's the thing this morning, that we gather here in this, church, in this church as a church, we don't have a building yet, clinging to the hope that God is always, always, always doing something new. That's why we came Friday and set up this stuff, because we want to proclaim that and gather here this morning to say God is always doing something new, even when things around us look like they're in a heap of ashes. And we do that this morning as people who follow Christ the Christ who is risen from the dead, who rose up from a pile of would be ashes. You see, the story of Jesus is one that's not unlike many of ours. Jesus came, brought us, brought new life in a heap of ashes. His story is much like ours. Anybody here ever felt betrayed by one of your best friends? Jesus's is one of Jesus's best friend Judas before we get to the resurrection before we get to this hope that God's bringing new life before we get there first Judas one of Jesus's best friends gets in cahoots with the Roman government figures out he can get some money in exchange for turning Jesus over and so that's what he does and he finds him one night with the roman officials behind him and he kisses jesus on the cheek and he's turned over to the roman officials now my husband watches dateline the stories about crimes he watches that law and order loves all those kinds of shows this is what happens right that's the storyline of those of those stories god the Folks sell out their very best friend like that we can promise that's going to happen in these crime stories that 's the storyline but jesus god 's son was going to have to experience this betrayal. He was going to be sold out by his very best friend. Anybody know how that how that feels? Anybody here feel like they 've ever been sold out, maybe by their boss or a parent or a friend and it hurts right? It hurts. Jesus is then after he's betrayed with a kiss. He's taken away, and he's, he's tortured, and he's taunted, he's made fun of, and he's mocked, and it hurt him. It was terrible. He hurt. And then another one of his best friends who who had heard from him just a few nights before, he said, Jesus tells his friends who were gathered eating dinner, he says to them, guys, I, the next few days are not going to be fun. I'm going to be turned over to the, to the officials. I'm going to die on a cross, and then I'm going to raise again. And, and Peter's like, no, that's not happening. I'm standing beside you, and I'm going to make sure that's not happening. And Jesus is like, Peter, I love you. But let me tell you something, Peter, before the rooster crows three times in the morning, you're already going to deny me three times three times. And sure enough, as Jesus is taken away, he, he, Peter's over here. He can see what's happening to Jesus in a courtyard just away. And, and some folks walk by him and they say, hey, you're Jesus's friend, right? You know that guy. And Peter's like, no, no, I have no idea who that guy is. Somebody else walks by, hey, you, you, you are the, one of his disciples. you followed him around. You've listened to his teachings, right? And Peter's like, no, no, no. And then finally, a woman walks by and she says, you're Jesus's friend, right? You know that guy. And Jesus is out in the courtyard at this point. The the folks are just mocking him and making fun of him and treating him terrible. And he he looks over at Peter and he watches Peter say, Nope, no, I, I don't I don't know Jesus. And they catch eyes and both of their hearts are broken. Right? Ever had that moment? Then Peter's like, What did I just do? Like, why did I just do that? Have you ever had that moment in your life? Have you ever been like Jesus and felt like you were betrayed? And then Jesus is crucified a few, minutes, a few moments later and he dies on a cross. And all of these folks who believed in everything he's done, everything he said, he, they've watched him heal people. They watched him come through Jericho and turn Zacchaeus' life around. They've watched all these amazing things happen. And they're, they're pulling for Jesus. They're like, this is the way we're going to experience freedom. Like, this guy's bringing a revolution. He's going to make all things new. And then on Friday, they watched him take his very last breath. They watched him take his last breath. Breath. Everything died that day. Everything was in a heap of ashes. It went down on a cross, and there was nothing but the dead body of a savior. And here's the part where I can get a little judgy because folks are like wondering around. They're like, "What are we going to do? We've lost." We've lost Jesus. And I'm like, he told you he's going to come back in three days. Just hang on. Just hang on. Jesus is going to be back. (laughs) Like, I want to tell him that. But for a moment, I imagined this week how I would have felt watching everything that I believed in take its last breath. It's easy for me to focus on on Judas betraying Jesus. It's easy for me to recognize Peter denying Jesus. I've done that. I'm like, I'm I'm guilty. I know what it feels like to do something and be like, why in the world did I just do that? I got that. But can you imagine how betrayed the people who followed Jesus felt? Like they believed in everything he was supposed to bring. They believed in everything that he had said and they watched it all just disappear right in front of their eyes. And some of you this morning, you may be like, yep, yep. Actually, I kind of know what that feels like. I've showed up and believed in everything. I've given everything I had to something, and I watched it just come into a heap of ashes. I've been betrayed. I've been sold out. I've been treated, mistreated. Erica, I've been hurt. I gave my life. I gave everything I had to someone, to some relationship, to something, and I was sold out, and it became a heap of ashes. I stood and watched it all go up in smoke. I read those verses in Luke several times this week. As the people beat their chests, they were so grieved. They, beat their, they, were, they were just weeping and wailing everything that they knew they had lost. And as I read those verses in Luke several times this week, I watched... I just imagined this thing that they believed in just becoming a heap of ashes. And I realized that that's where God raises up new life. Some of you are here this morning and you need to hear this. That the grief and pain and emptiness you feel is real, but there is hope for new life. Just hang on, this isn't the end of the story. I want to tell you just like I wanted to tell those people in Luke this week. It's not the end of the story. And this is what really struck me this time for the first time ever. After 2,000 years, right, we still hear this story. And this is the part that stuck with me this week. That in the moment when things were empty and dark, they stuck together. The friends still needed each other when they watched what they believed turn into heap Of ashes, and I'm here to tell you this morning that. Everybody in this room who's a person of Horizon says this morning that when, th- when your life is a heap of ashes, when you feel empty and dark, we are going to be there with you. And we are going to tell you, we know this is not the end of your story. Just hang on. God is going to do what God does and bring something new. It may surprise us. It's not going to be what we expect. But we are here beside you. We wear our yellow shirts or our red shirts or whatever shirt you want us to wear. We're here beside you, hanging with you waiting for the new thing that God is doing. I think the story of the women finding Christ in, is risen helps us understand how we might approach the new thing God may be doing in our own lives because I believe God is doing that in all of our lives. The first thing that the women did, if you remember from what I just read, the first thing that the women did was bring fragrant spices and oils to put in the tomb of Jesus. Does anyone know why they did that? It's actually because it's a ritual, Um, but the ritual comes from the fact that death is not pleasant. Like, it stinks. It's not fun. And so they brought the spices and the oils to cover up the stink and the mess and the terribleness there. And I realize that's what we often do, right? When God's trying to do something new in our lives, we, we want to cover up the bad, the messy, the stinky We want to cover it up with with spices or oils or linen cloths. But when the women got there, God was doing something new, and they didn't need to cover up the bad stuff. We often try to appear like we have it all together, like everything's fine, the falls, the shortcomings. We, We cover it up. We want it to appear acceptable, They prepared the spice because that's what they were supposed to do. This is what you're supposed to do when you encounter death and messiness is is cover it up. Cover up the things that are killing us and we hide from them because that's what we're supposed to do. And when the women went to that tomb that day, the stone was rolled away and Jesus wasn't there. They didn't need to cover anything up. God shows us, Right? He didn't even, God didn't even have to tell him. God shows us, you don't need to cover up the bad stuff anymore. The women didn't need the fragrant spices to cover it up. Those things that they'd spent their time and their energy gathering, they didn't need that. And God says, you don't need to cover up anything. Today, the truth is, he's, he's saying that to us today too, the truth is that hiding and covering up the bad and the messy stuff in our lives isn't serving us or anybody else well. Covering up, all of that stuff takes all of our energy and our time. And being courageous and showing up and letting God do something with all the things that we are covering up, that takes courage, and God gives us the courage to show up and do that so that God can do what God does best, raise up something new in a heap of ashes. We can be honest about all of our experiences, even the falls and the shortcomings, even the things that we've done wrong. Because a few days after Jesus isn't in that tomb anymore, he appears to his friends who are eating dinner, and you know what the first thing he does? He shows them the scars. He didn't hide that from them. God didn't need to hide the scars. He said they're healed and they're taken care of. I've got something new I'm doing here. You don't have to hide. You don't have to cover it up anymore. That's what Jesus's friends needed. They needed to see his healed scars. And there are friends of yours that need to see that too. So the women have figured out they don't need to cover everything up, but then they're standing there in an empty tomb. So they're like, okay, um, we don't need these spices and oils that we brought. What, what, what do we need? Uh, what, do we, what do we do next? Um, and they become confused and scared, perplexed is what it says. An empty tomb, I I think that when we encounter emptiness, there's something about the inside of us. It's like, ooh, this is bad. This isn't great. But on this day, an empty tomb is a good thing. I think we've been convinced that feeling empty is bad. But an empty tomb was a sign of new life that day. Emptiness often creates just enough space, just enough room for God to do something new. That emptiness creates just enough room for God to do something new. Three years ago on Easter Sunday, I spoke at the last service of the church that I attempted to start in East Nashville. Y'all, I poured everything I had into that church, and so did my friends and family. And on Easter Sunday three years ago, we had the very last service for East Bank, and I had no idea what was next in my life. I had no job to go to on Monday. I wasn't sure what my next steps were going to be, and I wasn't even sure if I was in the right career. I stood in front of 35 people, far less than here today, and I said, the tomb is empty, Christ is risen. And while I believed deep down that God raises up something new in the emptiness, I remember feeling a little empty that day too. But I, I had to say those words out loud, that was my job that day, and it began to, to develop in me this profound hope and belief that God indeed raises something new even in the emptiness. It literally gave me hope to speak those words out loud. I began to cling to the fact that this is not the end of the story. God might want to do something new. It's what gave me the strength to get up on Monday morning was just that bright glimmer of hope. And what I wish I would have known three years ago is just a glimpse of the new life that God was going to start raising up in the emptiness of my life. And I tell you, my life isn't perfect. It isn't full and wonderful right now. But I promise you that every... This is why I'm standing up here and saying this this morning because every single time I've brought my emptiness to God, I've watched God do what only God can do and raise up new and abundant life. But this new life disrupted my life part of me like liked Nashville I had friends there my best friends from Nashville came to visit this weekend I loved we were there for eight years it was our community and part of the new life that God wanted for us is that we would move from Nashville to Tampa my life would be disrupted those women who came to the grave their lives they came to that tomb their lives were disrupted that day too What happens when we experience this life changing disruption? Often God's trying to disrupt, God disrupts things when when God is doing something new. And when the women discovered that the tomb is empty, it disrupted their lives. Everything changed. Their plans for the day, for the week, for the months, for the years ahead changed. A couple chapters later, we'll figure out they went from bringing spices. To, to put in the tomb of Jesus, to breaking bread with their friends and disrupting the lives of others with the love and, and hope of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here today, because that's what God does when we bring emptiness. Even in the disruptions, God disrupts our lives so that we can be people who disrupt the lives of others with love. When the women discovered the empty grave, they immediately and disrupted the grief and pain of all these men who were gathered and upset and frustrated and in grief because their best friend had died. They went and they disrupted their day and they said, you're not gonna believe this, but the tomb is empty. And Peter's like, I don't believe you. And he runs and he's like, guys, they're right. The tomb is empty. Everything has changed. Everything is disrupted. And then they are expected to go and disrupt the world with that same love and hope of new life. And this is why I believe in the story of new life in the place of ashes. Because I have looked in the face of men who live on the streets, who are given a hot meal at Faith Cafe, and who are leaving to go back on the streets with their head hung a little bit low. They're a little hopeless and empty, even though their bellies are full, right? And there's, a, there's an older woman who sits at the, at the door, and as they leave, she says, I love you, We're so glad you were here today. And she hands them a a paper sack with a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and a water and a granola bar. And some days, the kids have even taken messages in crayon and written, I love you. You are loved. You are wonderful. And guys who are headed back into a life on the streets, their lives are disrupted for a moment knowing they are loved by God and they have their next meal in their hand. You all are part of disrupting the lives of others with love just this week. Um, a, a year and a half ago, our church, Horizon, the, one of the first things I did was meet with an area superintendent. She's also a United Methodist, and she said, your church, needs to par- Horizon, needs to partner with BT Washington Elementary School. It's an elementary school, Title I elementary school in Ybor City. It serves students who primarily live in public housing. And just this week, on Tuesday, it's Easter week, y'all. We had a huge Easter egg hunt yesterday. We have a huge Easter Sunday planned today. And on Tuesday, she emails me and she says, Eric. Erica, I I know this is a busy week for you, I know this is disrupting your life, but we need some folks who the first week in May will provide breakfast or lunch for our teachers. We don't have anybody who's going to do that during Teacher Appreciation Week. Do you think you all could do that? And I said, yes, we will disrupt some teachers' lunches and we will provide them with some love and some support because they spend every day of their lives committed to disrupting the cycles of poverty with some of the best resources we have, education. And I said, yes, we are going to do that because Easter, that's what Easter is about, is disrupting the lives of others with this love. I've sat, I believe this story because I've sat with a group of women on Wednesday morning. I've watched God disrupt their sleep as they gather early in the morning. And I've heard God speak to them. I've watched them begin to love their friends differently that they may experience the new life that God has I've, I've watched God raise up new life in the place of their emptiness as they encourage and hang with one another to say our story is true God raises up new life in the place of emptiness There are people in this room who disrupt who have their lives disrupted who have disrupted their lives of addiction with, with a life of recovery and sobriety God is ready to disrupt the lives of other folks because they have they have taken their time to say, "Hey, I see that you're struggling with this. Let let's see if we can focus on God who raises up new life and a new way to live." We are sitting in the room with people who know what this 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 feels like. This emptiness feels like we're sitting in this room with with a girl who's a young woman whose summer is going to be disrupted. She's a student, a grad student at Canler School of Theology. She's an, she's going to be our summer youth intern. She's going to come here. Her summer is disrupted to disrupt the lives of teens who need to know they are loved and they have a place here and we're going to serve others and spend our summer disrupting the lives of people. Danielle, who I disrupted her life a couple weeks ago and I called her and I said, our um, children's director is about to have a baby and we need an interim children's director. And she was like, I believe and What you all are doing, and for the next couple of months, I'll figure out what it looks like to be here on Sunday mornings and during the week to disrupt the lives of others with the love of God. She'll probably experience some disruptions over there in Horizon Kids, too. (laughs) There are people here today who know what it's like to see God raise up something new in the place of emptiness and brokenness. And there are people here who need to hear, hang on. Hang on, this is not the end of your story. And here at Horizon, we are going to disrupt your life until you know you are loved and God has something new for you. And it's not just for the people in this room. We are going to leave here today and we are going to be an Easter people who continue to disrupt the lives of people who need hope and peace and love with the love and light of Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to do when we leave here because Easter isn't just about singing pretty songs this morning. Easter is about living as people who believe that God is doing something new beyond these walls. There's a reason you're here today. Some of you need to know God wants to do something new in the emptiness you bring here this morning. There are some of you who need to know this morning that God wants to use you as a person who disrupts the world with the love of God. And all of us need to hear we're in this together. You are not alone. Christ is risen and there is new life Butting up in all the places where there has been emptiness and ashes. Will you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks that in the heap of ashes, you are always a God who brings up new life. And this morning, God, whatever we've brought here today, we proclaim Christ is risen. And you, God, we trust you to bring up new life in the places of emptiness. We love you. Amen.